Um, but today we're going to continue a little bit, and we're going to be in part 13 or 14 of the Sermon on the Mount. What we've been doing over the last three months is we have been incrementally walking through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and what we're doing is we're taking Jesus' first message that he ever brings to people. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is his first public message, and we have broken it out week by week by week, uh, sharing the words of Jesus. And Jesus has, although he did this all in one setting, we believe, one sitting, we've taken three months to do it. He was a much better communicator than we are. So uh, we are almost done. Today is actually, there's two weeks left, but today is the day where Jesus is closing his message up. So it's like his last words of his first public message. So I think it's going to be really cool to be able to kind of open it up a little bit and go through it. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7, we'll be in verses 24 through 27. But this entire Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus has been doing is he's been painting the picture of what it looks like to be a follower of his, what it's going to look like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, and, and what that means. He, he has essentially said, your life is going to look differently than what other people's lives. Uh, everyone's living for some sort of kingdom. He's saying what it's going to look like to live for the kingdom of God. And a lot of these weeks have, have been moments where Jesus is offering choices, it's almost like a pros and cons list. This message has been a massive, hey, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. You have the choice. You can do this or this. Uh, there's two gates, and it kind of uh, forewarns what gates are going to lead to, what this one's going to lead to, what this one's going to lead to. You can serve two different masters. What's this one going to go to? What's this one going to go to? You can love this. You can love that. Like It's been a lot of those types of things, and today is going to be similar. Jesus is going to be wrapping up this message, kind of re-anchoring everybody to the deepest truth of all. We've already sang about it. I feel like, I feel like the pump has been primed um, because we've sang about it. We've taken communion on it. But today we're going to talk about the heart of stability. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. You can see it on the screens. It says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, he says they're going to be like wise men. If we said, hey, who wants to be wise? Most of us would say, yeah, I, I would like that. And he's saying everything that I've said so far, everyone who hears these words and does them, you'll be wise. It says like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded had been built on the rock. Verse 26 says, And everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Again, if we ask who wants to be a fool, the vast majority of us would not raise our hand. There's always one that's like, yeah, I'd like to be, especially in student ministry. Hey, I want to be that. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sound, sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and this one fell. And great was the fall of it. All throughout this message that Jesus has been teaching, he's been teaching his disciples, or, or future disciples, potential disciples, to be hearers and doers of the word. Um, it's, it's been essential. He's been like, guys, you need to hear this 
and you need to do this. It's this whole faith. You need to have faith in what I'm saying, but your works, your life needs to back up this faith that you're placing it in. This is not something that's central only to Jesus' message. All throughout the New Testament, you're going to see this type of instruction through all of the letters written to the church, through the Pauline epistles, to James, uh, the, the half-brother. The James, uh, late in the New Testament, says the exact same thing. He says in verse 22 of chapter 1, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you're, if you're hearers only, you'll be deceiving yourself. Last week, we talked about Jesus wanting us or building us to be people that proclaim truth, but also demonstrate truth. It's not, it's not, we cannot be as Christians and followers of Jesus all talk. You ever known somebody that's all talk? And it's like they run their mouth, they run their mouth, but their actions, like, like I've got a, a, a little dog, okay? I've got two dogs. The little one's embarrassing to admit that I have. His name is Zeus, but, but... He, Zeus is this big, and he is, he's a teacup chihuahua. He's, he's a total punk. He's really a terrible dog. If he was any bit bigger, I would not have him, but he is this small, so he's very containable. But, like, he barks so much. He's like 10 years old. Like, he's not going to stop. This is just who he is, but the truth is, even when he tries to bite, it's like a nibble. Like, it's, it's, it's a pathetic bite. Like, it's just, all he does is make noise. I, I truly hate him, okay? okay? We're definitely using the first service for the podcast. <laughs> but, but no, for real, he's all bark. And anybody that's been to my house or been around Zeus knows that just let him do his thing. He's going to bark, 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 he'll run up to you, probably pee on the ground, and then he's done. He's done. That's all there is to him. You don't have to be scared of him. I think a lot of times as believers or potential believers or hopeful believers, we talk a big game, but Jesus is saying, let your actions back up your talk. James says the same thing. Zeus was a false god. We don't want to be Zeus, right? You know, you know what I mean? But Jesus is basically saying, okay, so school's almost out. Jesus is saying, he's putting an equation together, hearing my words plus doing them, following my instruction equals wisdom. And he's also saying, hearing my words plus not doing them equals foolish. The choice is so clear, right? It's so obvious. Why aren't all of us going this way as much as Jesus instructs? He's also very aware that the amazing thing about humanity is this, that I, I think it's amazing but also somewhat ridiculous, that it's a choice that we get to make. God gave us all free will. And there's so many times that I, I wish he wouldn't give free will for myself and for other people. It's like, because oftentimes we use free will inappropriately and we do what we want to do instead of what God created us to do. So why would God give an imperfect or a messed up people a free will? If we believe the scriptures and believe that God created us for a purpose and our purpose is that we were created to worship God the creator. 
through our life, through our work, through everything that we do, that we would be a life of worship, then the only way that worship can actually be satisfactory if it's offered up freely. If it's forced, it's manipulation. If it's controlled, you have to do it. It's not as pure, but God created us to offer up pure worship. And the only way that he could receive pure worship is that we would have free will. Free will is not just for worship, it's for every part of our life, including the choices that we make in which way we're going to lead and love and live. So Jesus is saying, hey, you can do this or you can do this. But essentially, you have a choice to make. When they heard the words of Jesus the listeners in that room, they had a responsibility at that point to choose. And in the same way when you, when I, when we hear the words of Jesus even right now, we have a responsibility to choose. We, we don't get the option any longer to not make a choice. But following God has always been the responsibility of the individual in the Old Testament you see it in several different instances. And you would think that a lot of times in the Old Testament, you see these kingdoms rise and fall, but you see God's hand on certain people. And God's hand was on a certain group of people and was leading them through. It's like you see Abraham, you see this covenant made for this family, for these people of God. And when the people followed God, there was great success. God's favor was on them. And the people were experiencing not just success, but protection and provision and all of these incredible things. Like they were experiencing security and stability in life, which is really what I probably believe most of our dream is for life, is that we would be secure and stable. So you would think that when you experience those types of things, you just say, hey, I'm going to keep doing what got me here. But in, for whatever reason, we tend to drift from that. And that's what's happening in the Old Testament when a young leader rises up by the name of Joshua. What's taking place is some of the people that had once followed God were beginning to abandon God. We're saying, hey, this isn't for me. It's tough. Situations are difficult. Uh, storms and winds and frustrations are present. And instead of doing what was already been done and God's following his instruction, they started to serve and follow and worship other gods. And in the famous scripture in verse 15 of chapter 24, Joshua says this. He says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, it's like, hey, if you guys think it's evil to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve. Whether it's the God that our fathers, remember back then, served in this region beyond the location that they were at. They were at a river right there. He says, or gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says, hey, the choice is yours. He says, you have a choice to make. He says, but I have a choice to make too. He says, for, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And my prayer is that today some of you rise up with this Joshua mentality and say, you know what? For me and my house, I'm going to build my life on a firm foundation from this day forward, or maybe it's just going to re-encourage you with decisions that you've made. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, but you see in the Old Testament, choices are present. You see in the New Testament, choices are present. So some personality types would lend themselves to this mindset that says, hey, I'm just not going to make a choice. I'll wait to make the choice. 
There was a season of my life when I was, I was young. I don't, I don't remember exactly how old I was. I, I think I was preteen, but I was like, I grew up in church, so I, I knew all things church. Not, I didn't know all things, but you know what I mean. I grew up in it. And I knew that that was the right way to go, but there were things that I just wanted to do, just for real. Like, let's, like there were things that I wanted to enjoy, and, and, I, and I had the mindset, I'm just, I'm not going to actually go that way but I'm just not going to go this way right now. I'm just going to choose to not choose. But in the reality of you being presented with a choice, you not choosing is choosing. So as believers and even as, as, as followers of Christ in this room, in messages like this, we don't have the luxury of just saying, I'll make a decision one day. We are either choosing this way, or we are choosing another way, and Jesus is trying to make it as clear as possible where these routes are going to lead you to and the stability that's going to come in these decisions. In the midst of those three scriptures, Jesus makes some bold promises Promises that as believers we actually don't want to receive because they scare us, they frighten us. But Jesus, if you were paying attention, he warns us that storms are coming for both people on both sides of the coin. Jesus warns us that storms are going to test the foundation that our life is built on. This immediately dispels the belief that says, hey, I decided to follow Jesus, so smooth sailing. <laughs> He says storms are going to test the foundation of your life. What are you building your life on? And there's a lot of different storms, but I think storms are actually beautiful things because those are the things that reveal to us that which is our true foundation. Corey Tim Boom says this, in order to realize the worth or the value of the anchor, we need to feel the stress of the storm. We don't have any clue how valuable that anchor is until we need something to hold us steady. I love the word picture that that paints of what it shows us. There's a physical storm that takes place in the New Testament with Jesus' disciples after this moment. And they're on a boat. Really bad storms are present. And all the disciples, the followers of Jesus, even it's, it's amazing. Jesus has already made certain promises to them, but they are scared. They are scared to death. Like literally, they're, they're saying every prayer they got in the bag. They're like, Jesus, like what is going on? This is bad news. And Jesus walks out of the boat. He was sleeping down below. He walks out of the boat. He looks around. I have to believe, just chill, maybe wiping some sleep from his eyes. Like, and he says this. I, I, he looks at his disciples. He says, peace, be still. Calms the storm. <laughs> his disciples in that moment went, who is this guy? <laughs> who is this guy that speaks with this authority, which is funny, is what you're going to hear at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when other people finish listening to Jesus. But the storms are what show us what the actual value of the anchor is that we are subscribing to, the foundation of our life. Proverbs 10 says when the tempest, which is, it's like, a, it's like a, a whirlwind, like overflowing rain. Just picture a really bad storm. When the tempest passes, 
the wicked is no more. That word, the wicked is no more, means they are utterly destroyed. But the righteous is established forever. Choice. Which route am I going to go? Am I going to be the wicked or am I going to be the righteous? The storms are coming. The storms might be present. This is usually a time where we say, well, what are the storms? What are those things that are going to derail us or test the anchor? And the truth is there's so many different ones. You will probably have different storms than I. And I will probably have different storms than you. But storms can be health. They can be culture. Storms can be transitioning in different seasons of life. They don't always have to be tragic, but they can be tragic. Some of the greatest storms that you actually experience in life are those that seem to be quite successful. They test the very foundation that you're built on. When the storms come, how's the soil doing? Tragedy and health happens to all of us oftentimes when death is present and someone close to us, it it shakes our foundation. Culture absolutely can be a storm. Over the last two years, there's been many, many people that have abandoned faith for various reasons because culture shifted below them and the thing that they put their hope in from from whatever that would be, what what was really the tank or the, the fuel in the tank all of a sudden didn't answer life's questions. But Jesus is saying, no matter what storm comes, if you build your life on me, it's going to be a firm foundation. Again, realize that the people that he's talking to in this moment see him as a man, not yet a Messiah. In two and a half years, they're going to see him not just as a man that taught very well, that calmed storms in this life, but silenced death's mouth as well. The man, the Messiah, said, build your life on me. It's a firm foundation. So we have to start to ask ourselves, how do I build a life on a rock, a firm foundation, and how do I know if I'm building my life on sandy soil, a bad foundation? It's easy in one sense to paint the two extremes of what building our life on the rock would be. It would be what the the perfect Christian in your mind, just picture it, and we're like, okay, that's building our house on the rock. And then we say, what does building our life on the sand look like? And we go to just the the grotesque, like, sinner, (laughs) like Galatians 5, works of the flesh stuff, like You can go read Galatians 5, I think it's verse 19. It says, these are the works of the flesh, and it just talks about all kinds of stuff that the truth is the vast majority of us are not involved in. And we paint these polar opposites of what it looks like, and if that's the case, many of us find ourselves in this category where it's like, okay, I'm building my life on a firm foundation. Uh, Like, I'm not involved. It's okay. It's just a phone. (laughs) Whose phone is it? Was it yours? It's okay. (laughs) One time, one time we were here and somebody's phone went off and it was this country song and like they were so embarrassed and I just started singing the country song with them. So I can't make that sound, but everything's cool. No, so like we picture these two extremes 
of what it looks like for life. But I'm starting to think a whole lot more that there might be a lot more people that we taught four weeks ago about broad is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. There's a lot of people that are in this broad gate that their life actually looks good. Like it's got good deeds attached to it. Like it, it looks on the outside very, very similar to that of a believer. They pay their bills. They're a good neighbor. They, uh, they volunteer. They do all of the things. They check all the boxes, but they didn't go through the narrow gate to get there. Is it possible that we can live outward actions-wise identical lives that end up in two totally different places? Absolutely. And that should be a startling eye-opener statement for the church. What does building a life on sand look like? Of course it looks like Galatians 5.19. But again, the vast majority of us aren't hidden here. What I want to do is I want to be a place that can reach anyone that finds themselves in the broad gate and can lead them. Maybe their same actions will be the same, but with a totally different motive with a totally different reason to do what they are doing. The wake-up call I think we need is the truth that if we think we're actually a pretty good person apart from Christ, we've completely missed the good news of Jesus Christ. Many people end up in moralism where they're morally good but they're not surrendered to Christ. Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City who is currently fighting for his life. I read, I read a message. He's got pancreatic cancer, stage four. He put out a message, I think, yesterday, uh, multi-location church. Uh, he's checking into a facility that's six months. He's got to be isolated for six months apart from his family, uh, who's been a protector of truth for a long time. He's defended the gospel for a long time. I'm sure he hasn't been perfect, but... Tim Keller said this, we think that the way to be saved is to repent of your sins. And Jesus shows us that you also have to repent of the very reason you did anything good at all. Motive. The hardest thing for mankind to judge is why am I doing what I am doing? If we are only good and we're not surrendered to God, we've missed it. I believe that you can be converted to church and not to Christ. These are the moments that we should allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and to our lives because if we are trying to get into heaven, building our life on a foundation of goodness, that foundation is very, very thin. In a world that's moralistically fighting to define what is good, how can we put our hope and our trust in good when good changes? 
when what was right at one time is now wrong and when what is wrong at one time is now good. This is the beautiful, sure security that Christ possesses and gives to his believers is that there's a security. When it says God is good, it's not because of what he does, it's because of who he is. Therefore, when our security is in that of God and in Christ Jesus, whatever happens is good. Why? Because God is good and that is my firm foundation. If our foundation is simply our moral goodness, then we are on a sinking ship. The foundation of Christ does not change. So what does building a life on the rock actually look like? We've talked about it actually for the last 13 weeks. It's amazing we find ourselves in this spot and reminding ourselves, oftentimes the art of communication brings up the main thing at the very beginning and brings up the main thing at the very end. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. Again, three years after he delivers this message, it's got a totally different meaning because these disciples that heard him speak have now seen him die and resurrect to new life. And their hope became much more confident, not just for this life. But he's saying now, if I put my hope in him, that I too can conquer death and the sting of death. What does a life that's built on the rock actually look like? It looks like the last 13 weeks that we've preached, the Sermon on the Mount. The way that Jesus methodically and incrementally laid out this message of what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven We've tried to stay very true, which is our job as communicators of the gospel, true to the word, true to the text, that we would rightly divide the word with truth. The last 13 weeks we've said this. The first week was that we need to have a heart for God. First and foremost, that our heart would be surrendered to him. That's where we talked about like the heart of the law and what God's heart actually was. It was this heart of God. That was week one. Week two, we talked about having a heart for people. Not just people that are like us, that look like us, that think like us, that we would genuinely care about people, humanity. God did, therefore, as people that are surrendered to him, we should. Week three, we talked about having a heart of love. Of love. We talked about having a heart of faithfulness. Even when others aren't, we are. We talked about a heart of integrity, that which is whole, which is true. Even when it's tough. We talked about having a heart of generosity. We talked about having a heart of prayer. We talked about having a heart of devotion. We talked about having a heart of trust. We talked about having a heart of humility. We talked about having a heart of dependence. We talked about having a heart of trust and truth. We talked about last week, a couple weeks ago, having a heart of relationship. Genuine relationship. That was when we talked about our famous Mother's Day message, Depart from Me, I Never Knew You. <laughs> Classy. <laughs> Today, we're talking about a heart of stability. How can we actually be secure? How can we truly be secure when we lay our head down at night? Is that we've built our life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Psalm 19, this is the psalmist. He, in a lot of ways, prophetically shared the Sermon on the Mount in verses 7 through 11. 
when he begins to talk about the Lord. He says this, he says, the commandment of the Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect. It says, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, it's strong, it's secure. Making wise the simple, thank God, right? <laughs> Making wise the simple, the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure. It says enlightening the eyes. It says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true they're righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Guys, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount by restating what he had just said for the last, for us the last 13 weeks, for him, however many moments they shared. And I believe it's the same thing that we receive today. I think he's saying there will be opportunities to try to build your life on other things, on your successes, on your strengths, on your whatever on your relationships. And he's saying, if you want to achieve security, not just in this life, but the next, there's only one way. It's a narrow way. It's gonna look different than others. You're gonna have to think different. You're gonna have to surrender some of your desires. It's going to be, it's gonna be uncomfortable at times. The promise is that the winds and the waves and the storms will be present either side you choose but you get the choice to choose either stability security or sandy soil that might be fun for a season but will not hold you up when it comes to eternity he says the choice is yours and today the choice is yours the answer is simple Christ alone Christ alone. He is the firm foundation. We wanted to take a moment to respond to this truth that we've received. And we wanted to do it through worship. So if you're comfortable, you can stand back to your feet. And we're going to sing a song called Cornerstone, which is an anthem of this message that we've shared. 1 Corinthians says this, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation that you can build your life on. There's no other cornerstone that will sustain you all the way to the end. For some of you, you need to remind your soul of this today. Today's a re-anchoring, a reminder of that. For some of you, today's a day of surrender to this, to this truth. Today's the day where you say, I'm surrendering my life. I'm laying it all down to you. For some of you, you need to respond in prayer with someone. There's a team in the back of the room that's got a badge that says prayer. You can find them back there. But today's a day 
where every single one of us have to choose. And my prayer is that all of us choose to turn to Jesus, the author, the finisher, and the cornerstone of our life. So as we lift this song up, God, I pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people. God, that this would not just be a song we sing, but it would be a reality that we live. So God, let this be a pleasing aroma to you. In Jesus' name, amen.